Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Long Ball Football with myself, Albert and my brother Barney. How are you doing Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, good man. Really enjoyed the football this weekend. Some excellent games. Yeah, some of the some of the best games this season, I think. Some of the best goals as well. Yeah, definitely. Some absolute scream, isn't there? How about you? You good? Yeah, very good. My week's been building up to tomorrow night when I was super lucky to uh, win one of the ballots to get a ticket to the Lane Orient game, so... Uh, I'll be one of the few people who's getting to go back to the football stadium tomorrow night oh, to watch nice. Lane Orient play and probably inevitably lose to Bristol Rovers because they are a league above us, but I couldn't care less really. <laughs> well, you never know. There's, there's no away support, is there? So you could, uh, you could carry them through. So I, I wanted to, um, I'll be a bit cheeky and ask people if, um, first of all, if you're new, welcome. Um, but if you've, this just for a while now and like, sort of like what we're doing, we'd really appreciate um, a little five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts and uh, they really help us. But I had the idea, if you're going to leave a comment when you're leaving this five-star review, you could do, um, well, basically when we're trying to think of a name for the podcast, um, I was sort of trying to think of like English football phrases and just replacing one word with the Portuguese translation. And we came ever so close to calling this podcast um, and you can bring your fucking janta. Um, sort of <laughs> <on that. laughs> do you want to explain Play. the context of that one? Yes, yeah, so there's a really famous uh, video of uh, an old late Orient manager just ripping into the players at half time um and there's this bit where he's like shouting at these two defenders he's like you can pair up if you like and you can bring your fucking dinner because i'll be right waiting for you but <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, i tried for uh little ones we could do so uh, uh camisa for goalposts um you can't win anything with crianza and uh park the <laughs> <only> bus, um <laughs> <laughs> These are straight out of Google Translate, Barney. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. But no, um, it also is really appreciate appreciate um, me and I started this just on a whim and it's, it's growing, growing nice and slowly. But um, yeah, just to help us grow a little bit quicker would be, we'd really appreciate it. To be honest with you, if you're listening and you enjoy it, that's enough for us. But yeah, if you've got a, an idea for maybe a better uh, podcast name or maybe just a name for an episode, we'll probably pick some of the best ones and use them as our episode names in the future. Well, on to the news of the week, and it's been a fantastic week for Portuguese teams in Europe, Barney, with Porto, Benfica and Braga all qualifying from their respective European groups with one game to spare. Porto out of a very tricky, potentially tricky Champions League group, uh, and Braga and Benfica qualify into the next round of the Europa League. What did you make of some of the games this week, Barney? Well, I think Braga... Um... Performed well again. They, got, they won four two against uh, AK Athens. Another like solid result in the, uh, in this group. Uh, Porto as well for me. I, you know, drawing no old Man City, really good performance. Um, and then of course I have enjoyed watching the Benfica games against Rangers. I think they've been good games to watch. Yeah, yeah definitely. Both lucky to, to get points from both those games. But <laughs> no, they've been quite enjoyable actually. I'm looking forward to seeing all these teams in the next round and seeing who they get um, paired up against. Could be some good games in there. Well, the only question really now that they've all qualified is which of these teams are going to end up topping their group. I think that will probably be out of the realms of possibility for Porto. They'll need Man City to lose and a pretty dramatic uh, goal difference swing, I believe. But both Braga and Benfica could potentially top their group and that would put them in a more favourable position going into the next round. Uh, the one thing I think we should touch on though, Barney, because it's been bubbling under the surface for quite a long time is Sergio Conceição and Pep Guardiola and the pretty juicy beef that's been going on between them two it's a pretty interesting one uh, since Porto started playing Man City in the Champions League uh, there's been a decent rivalry between the two managers we know what a character 
Sergio Consasau is already. He's not one to hold back uh, how he feels. And after the first game, he was already accusing Pep and the City bench of putting pressure on the referee. He said that Pep used ugly words about Portugal. I think what he was referring to, Barney, was that Pep said Porto played in a very Portuguese way. So read into that what you will. Um, now, I love controversy as much as the next man, of course. But uh, I think it all got a bit much this week when Porto put out a newsletter to their fans, which was not only hypocritical, but also, I think, crossed a number of lines. Uh, a couple of quotes from this newsletter for you, Barney. The first one about Fernandinho. There should have been a red card given to Fernandinho, who, despite being 35, is a clear example that in football, money counts a lot, but it doesn't buy class. <laughs> I had no idea what this was. They were trying to. Why did they mention his age in this? I had no idea what that was. <laughs> it doesn't really make total sense, really, to me, does it? But the second and probably more serious quote uh, from the newsletter was when they went on to describe former Benfica player Bernardo Silva as known internationally for having been convicted of racism. Now, this refers to obviously a one match ban that Silva served for a Twitter post uh, where he compared teammate Benjamin Menning to the character on a packet of con- Congitos. It's like a type of chocolate brand uh, It's available in Spain and Portugal. But I thought that was an incredible accusation to be thrown around after a game of football. Yeah, a, weird, a really weird one for me. And of course, City sort of replied to that and sort of referenced in a game back in 2012 when um, Mario Balotelli and Yaratore received racial abuse when they were playing at Porto. Um, it's ugly, really. I, I, I don't know, like this... Um, Back and forth. I mean, to look at the anti-football comments, though, and sort of um, and sort of Porto's uproar at those comments. I mean, I think a good performance from Porto to get points. They needed to get those that one point at, at City, and they did well to get it. But it wasn't too long ago that we had Contrasal saying the exact same thing about uh, Lito Vidigal, and that's what I don't understand. Really, it's it's really hypocritical because you've got to respect the art of knowing when you're up against a better team and just being able to get a point or you know doing what you need to do. Yeah, like I said, a little hypocritical. I did like uh, his uh, conscious style uh, quote, though, where he said it um, about Pep. If I had his budget, his players, and still couldn't get a win, I'd be sad too. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy that, yeah. I mean, this whole and this whole situation has been quite enjoyable to follow. I thought the newsletter took a bit of a sour turn, but yeah, the whole other outcome of this situation is that, particularly following, like you said, particularly following the second game between the two teams, which ended nil-nil, and it led to a lot of people throwing Constance's past criticisms of defensive teams back in his face. Yeah, that phrase that you mentioned has been bandied about quite a lot, anti-jogger. I guess the closest thing we could say to it would be anti-football, that kind of criticism. He's allegedly accused some of the uh, more mid-table Portuguese teams of doing that against his side. Something he rebutes, though, he also said, if anybody can find a quote, criticising teams who play behind the ball, I'll give them a million euros. <laughs> That's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money. You might regret that. Well, one of the managers that Contessao may well have accused of anti Jogo in the past is Lito Vidigal, uh, the former Mar- manager of Maritimo, who this week left Maritimo with the team in 16th place uh, and on seven points. It wasn't quite clear to me, Barney, whether he resigned uh, or was fired. I suspect he was fired. But it's an interesting one, and I'm interested to hear what you make of this whole situation because you've watched them a little bit more than I have. Yeah, I was really sad when I saw the news. I've, I think he's a big, a really big character, and mm. I know at the beginning of the season there was a couple of performances which people were classing as anti-Jogo, um, with <laughs> some of the, the tactics of getting points over the line. But I do respect that sometimes. I think sometimes you've got to do that. The weird thing for me was that it was just after the Benfica game, 
I mean, they've got friends tonight. They're playing, and surely that would he would have been able to get points from that. Definitely. Um, I mean, four losses in a draw in the last five games is um, not great at all. Um, and as we've seen in this league, it's you know that's all it can take for a manager to get fired. And when I looked into his previous jobs as well, he does seem to have quite short stints. He either has a long, a long stint at a club, or it's very, very short. So, so I think it, there must have been something going on. I think he's he's, a, he's obviously a big character, and I can imagine some sort of things going on behind closed behind closed doors, sort of pushing this through. I just yeah, like I said, I, I think it was a bit of a shame. I think there was some some big departures from Maritimo in the summer in, in Nanu and um and Getterson going to Saudi Arabia. That sort of happened under the radar, but I think he was quite. Quite a big player for them. I mean, who knows where we're going to see him next? Could be Liga Pro, could be uh, could be his team in this league. Um, I'm sure we'll see him again though soon. I think Vidigal is quite emblematic of the managerial culture in Portugal. I think we see a lot of managers who move around an awful lot of clubs at a similar level. You know, not really staying for very long, rarely achieving anything particularly uh, special. Uh, often we see the most exciting Portuguese managers move abroad. But yeah, I think this whole argument about anti-football, anti-jogger, whatever you want to call it, it's very, very tiring. I think if big teams expect little teams to just roll over and let the big teams play how they want to play against them, they're just deluded. We, you know, It's an argument we have in, in England as well. I'm bored of it. I don't want to go into it. I think it's absolute nonsense. And like you say, he's a big character. So he's somebody that uh, I've got a lot of time for. To his credit as well, Barney, he's not done a bad job getting Rodrigo Pino scoring goals. Yeah, I was going to mention that too because the form he's been on this season is is fantastic. Um, also, two other players, Marcelo Hermes and Claudio Wink, who came in in the summer, uh, they've looked great as well. Good signings. Just yeah, I I feel like he could have been given a bit longer, um, and I, I do think it's weird to let someone go after they've just played Benfica because of course they're not they're probably not going to get any points there. And like Maritima beat Porto for the first time in their history. I mean that, that's another great great thing that he's done. Like you know, a bit of a shame. But um, hopefully, it won't be the last we see it. Right, well, on to the Premier League action of the week. And as Barney mentioned earlier, an absolutely fantastic week. Uh, in the Premier League with some brilliant games and some really unforgettable goals. One of the best games of the week, Barney, uh, Sporting CP2, Famous L2. Uh, talk me through this one, Barney. I don't know where to start with this one, but um, <laughs> one, <laughs> when we started this podcast, I, I, I was looking out for um, a Mike Dean type character. You know, one of those referees that loves it way too much, like loves the drama, loves it. And I feel like we finally found him in um, Luis Godino. Um, <laughs> he's got a nice bald head as well, so it's easy to see. Uh, <laughs> quite a bit of controversy in this match. Um, to go through the game quickly, um, Sporting missed a penalty early on. Um, great save from famous young keeper, um, Luis Jr., has, I think, just started the last two games now. So he saves that pen. Pote gets a great goal. And then um, famous get an equaliser. Pedro Porro with a beautiful free kick just before half time. And then Famous out equalized again on the 89th minute. And then right at the end, Coatas goes up to play striker for the last minute or two. And is an absolute monster, like causing all sorts of problems. Uh, a long ball hooked in and he sort of misses the head, but the ball comes down and lands on his head as he's falling down and sort of goes into the goal. 
Now I went to VIR and Gudino deemed that Kratos had knocked the Flamisal keeper's arm. A really hard one. I mean, slow motion, it, you can see the touch. I can sort of understand it. But if you were going for a header with a player and you touched, you're not going to give a free kick or anything. Like, it's, I don't know. I, I couldn't really make up a mind on this one. It, the rest of the game, though, Gudino just he seemed to love it too much. There was a few scuffles at points. And there was this prime example where he was so interested in going to the touchline to book a Flamisal coach that a scuffle was starting behind him, like a big like pile on, like, and he was too <laughs> fixated on, I mean, he sent off Almerin as well. And when he's walking towards Almerin, he even just sort of puts his hands and goes, what are you saying? What are you saying? And then shows him the red card, like quite antagonistic, not very perfect. Mm. Like the other story of this game is the fact that Sporting dropped points and they should have won this game to be completely honest. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this match is that I think it's the first time we've seen Sporting really up against it in a game. They obviously had that winning goal rule out, as you said. But also, I thought the game was so back and forth that they could have easily lost it too. They were at, you know, even in the dying minutes of the game, I thought Family Style had chances. But I think what the game will be remembered for is two fantastic free kick goals. The first from Poirot was unbelievable. And the second from Family Style, I, forgive me, the name escapes me. But yeah, two great free kicks in this game. How about, I did want to touch on that, actually. Um, I'm, not, I'm not making a, a, a huge point in this, but Ali Adnan in goal for sporting. Definitely at fault for the first goal. He came out for the cross and completely missed the ball. And it just went, carried on through and Aston Cole could just tap it in. And then for the free kick, he was shouting at the top of his voice, trying to get this ball to move across. And they seemed to be doing it, but I don't know if he actually got the way they wanted. If he didn't get the message across for them to move over far enough, you know, he's at, potentially at fault for that too. And the reason I bring it up is because there's Maximiano on the bench, a highly rated young keeper who was, I think he was starting a few games in the last season. And he's obviously, Adnan's been brought into take his place I know you think he's been performed quite well this season I've so I sort of seem to agree but like I said I'm not trying to make a big point but I just think it's worth remembering that there is Maximiano on the bench I don't know whether Almeron's gonna rotate keepers and give him a chance it'd be interesting to see another player I wanted to touch now was um Pedro Porro um beautiful free kick I mean I was I was surprised he was on them to be honest but mm. they obviously trust him to I mean that was a great free kick amazing um, Brilliant dribbler as well. Has some great runs in this game, and he seems to have a really good relationship with Amron. Like um, a few times, they were he would stop, have a little chat with him. I wrote down the question: Is he the best right back in the league? Or would you take him over Manafar? <laughs> I think I would definitely take him over Manafar. I think that's a great question, actually. I, when you think about the right backs that the big teams have, there could be an argument I think for Almeida from Benfica when he's fit, very experienced. Obviously, he doesn't offer at all what Poro offers going forward but still a fantastic footballer maybe Reggie Cannon from Boa Vista if he keeps progressing at the way he's progressing but I find, I'm finding it hard to disagree with you there there's an 8 million release clause in his loan deal I mean you've got to take that haven't you it's a fantastic deal it sounds like an absolute bargain for 8 million he looks like a great player I mean the other big thing as well we need to talk about is Pote I mean he, he got his goal against his old club and, and a nice goal it was he, once again Sporting's best like Creative threats, attacking threats. It's the red card, man. It was really silly. Um, he, I think he got fouled himself, but the ref didn't give it. And then he just goes and you know gets the second yellow. And they're going to miss him for the next game now. And you know how important has he been? I mean, yeah, he's been fantastic for them. And you, obviously, he's probably going to be irreplaceable with his goals and his assists. I think this red card is going to be really important. They went with Sparrow again at top. I think he was when he first came into the team, but he was absolutely invisible in this game they brought Thiago Thomas on he looked quite good as well he looked sharp and good with his feet but 
it's the goals, Albert. I mean, if you take away Pote's goals, there's not much coming in. They've got Ferenc next um, next in the league, so they should get points there. But the thing for me was this game was it was just clear that they're not able to control the game enough for me. They were they're good with quick build up play, but they need to be able to hold onto the ball better, limit the opposition's chances. And I think they've been lucky up until now for that to have not let them down. Well, another team who struggled to hold on to their lead this weekend, Barney, was Porto when they played Tondela. That game ended 4-3 and it was a bizarre game, but one of the most exciting games of the season so far, definitely. Positives and negatives for both teams. Uh, some remarkable moments throughout, but the most bizarre thing about this game for me, Barney, is how are Porto able to keep a clean sheet against Manchester City, but concede three goals at home against Tondela? I just don't get it. They've been tactically outsmarted this season by Tondea, Passos and Maritimo. Yeah, in the Champions League, no one's getting anything against them. Like Marseille with Villabos, like Pep Guardiola's Man City. They hold up to those teams, but they can't do it against Tondea. I mean, they did well to get the win, and I think the second half was much better than the first half. But still, I mean, to concede three goals against Tondea is surprising. It was, it was night and day compared to their game against Man City. I mean... Fair enough. Maybe they worked really hard in that game against Man City. Maybe there was a bit of a hangover. Maybe the players were a bit tired. But defensively, they let themselves down quite badly. I thought uh, Malang Sar got caught out for the first goal. Salusi was at fault for the second. He just, I don't know why he didn't bother blocking that shot from a really acute angle. But still, lots of positives for Porto. Morega scored two good goals. Taremi got on the score sheet as well. Uh, some great build-up play throughout the game. But yeah, like I said, defensively, that's what let them down for me. I, I quite like uh, Marega and Taremi playing together at top. I, I thought that was a good positive move. I think it made the midfield a little unbalanced. Um, no corona this game. Um, and I felt the wing-backs were sort of being asked to be the whip for Porter and that's why they were getting caught out because, like you said, Mbemba and Saar were sort of found out by themselves a couple of times. As we've mentioned previously, Albert, this whole... Um, Conscious and anti-football and how, how much he seems to hate it. I do really wonder. It's almost as if he's got a different attitude in the Champions League. And perhaps he feels with these smaller teams, he doesn't have to focus on defending. They can they can throw everyone up apart from the two centre-backs against these smaller teams and get results. I, I thought Tendaya had them completely sussed in the first half. Um, they were just soaking up the pressure and then catching on the break. Um, Rafael Barbosa and Mario Gonzalez, the two strikers, were just so quick to break and and it really worked for them. But I do have to give credit to the way they Porto came out in the second half. They obviously need to get in and get a talking to because some of the pressing and intensity was incredible. Yeah, I totally agree with that assessment of the game as a whole. First half was very tight, very even. I believe it ended 2-2. Credit to Porto, as you said, came out on top, got their two goals. But it goes back to what you were saying, Bonnie, about how that way of playing where you just throw people forward and worry less about defending um, doesn't guarantee you a victory because they've got their two goals to go 4-2 four to, four to up. All of a sudden, Tondela get one on the counter, it's 4-3. And with one of the last kicks of the game, Tondela hit the crossbar oh. and it could have been 4-4. Four, four. Honestly, it was so exciting. Let's talk about Tondela, Barney. It was the most impressed I've been by them all season. It's fair to say, I think, they've been pretty underwhelming. But they managed the game really well. They contained Porto as best they could. They counted well, especially in the first half. Some very well-taken goals. They didn't have that many chances, but the chances that they had, they took well. Well, at the end of the day, it's three points for Porto. And it's exactly the same story for Benfica. To move on to their game, they beat Passos Ferreira 2-1. But this was another game that could have been an awful upset for Benfica. They went 1-0 down to 
a wonderful, wonderful strike from Ryabchuk. Another one of these great goals that we saw this week uh, before eventually getting a goal back. And then a last-minute header through Vultrimit grabbed the win. Um, but for the most part, Barney, for me, it was another impressive performance uh, by Passos Ferreira. Yeah, I agree. I thought they looked really good. I loved um, Diaby playing number ten. Did you? There was a big French lad. Did you? Did you, did you see it? Uh, he's got a. He's got a nice little touch for a big man, hasn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but then yeah, Douglas Tang as well. Impressed. He should have got. He should. He had a couple of chances. He should have put away though. I thought he played well, Barney. But yeah, for me, he missed. He missed a few. A few chances. So that kind of marred his performance a little bit for me. But in general, his attacking player thought was pretty good. The problem for me though, Barney, was that they played really well, but. They seemed to hit an, a wall at about 75 minutes in. You know, they played so well getting the first goal. Fair enough, Benfica got a good goal back and you thought this could go either way. Passos are playing really well. But yeah, like I said, about 75 minutes in, they just looked absolutely knackered. Uh, some of their players could barely run around the pitch anymore and it only seemed a matter of a time really before Benfica got their goal, which they did. Uh, and a good goal. Uh, Gabriel with a great ball into the box and a Volschmidt header. Uh, Volschmidt, a player who hasn't quite grabbed the headlines in the way that someone like Darwin Nunes has, even though he was another signing with a lot of potential. I was I was surprised at how many minutes he's got this season because, I, like you said, he hasn't caught the headlines. I thought he'd been dropped a few games. But when you look, he, he's pretty much played every single game, whether it's starting or coming as a sub. But yeah, he just hasn't quite lit it up yet, has he? Um, I feel like there's a lot more to come from him. Well, he had a great start to the season. I think he scored two goals in his first game. Uh, and he looked fantastic. I think he's a great player with bags of talent. There's a reason why he's played for Germany at international level. You know, this is a this is a player that will perform if you give him the chance. But you know, fair enough. Settling into a new country is never easy. What did you think of um, him starting Pitsy behind the striker? Do you think that's a, a better position for Pitsy to play? Well, I thought it was encouraging that he that George Jesus made some tactical changes because they went with more of a three in midfield, which is something that I've called for. Uh, a couple of times. They went for Weigl as the defensive midfielder. Didn't have an amazing game. Came with a half-time. Exactly. Maybe he's maybe he's just lacking match fitness. Again, Adele Tarapt, I didn't think he had a, a great game. He's had great games in the recent past for Benfica. This wasn't one of them. I prefer Pitsy playing more forward because I think he's that creative player who can unlock a door for Benfica. Uh, and that brings me on to a really important point about Benfica that I wanted to talk to you about, Barney. Uh, and this comes from Prosima Jornada on Twitter, who put out a great analysis of the game afterwards. You know, people like us have talked about Benfica defensively. Uh, and of course, they do have defensive issues, uh, undoubtedly. But Prosima Jornada were just pointing out that actually one of Benfica's biggest problems is their inability to get shots on target and get goals. Uh, I mean, how about this for some stats? Uh, in the game against Passos Ferreira, Passos had five shots on target, Benfica had four. In Benfica's game against Maritino, both teams only had two shots on target. Against Braga, Benfica had four shots on target and Braga had five. And in that incredible game when Benfica lost uh, 3-0 to Boavista, Benfica had two shots on target and Boavista had seven. So clearly they have a problem uh, creating chances. I think you made the good point last week where you were talking about how Everton us play sort of a left of a four in midfield sort of restricting his attacking abilities and his creativity. I, I want to see more from him. It's hard to understand why they're not getting so many shots on target. I mean, they've got fantastic strikers, creative midfielders. Something's just not quite working out. But I think there's a lot of players lacking confidence, Barney, because you saw that Benfica quite easily controlled the game, controlled possession, 
they were perfectly comfortable on the ball. But when they sort of got near to the Passos Ferreira box, there was just one too many passes. No one was really prepared, apart from probably Darwin Nunes, no one was really prepared to take a shot on, try something a little bit special. Uh, and in the end, it just made it easier for Passos to read the game and contain Benfica pretty well, which they did for most of the game. I, I wanted to talk about um, Jorge Zeus and the substitutions. He made two at half-time this game. Now, obviously, we've got um, new rules this season with the five subs um, sort of to help the teams uh, cope with the COVID situation. I wanted to dig a little deeper because let's get things straight. Benfica have enough players to fill two title contending 11s, in my opinion. Um, and then you can pair that something up with uh, Passos. You know, they can take Douglas Tank off and bring on Dorjan, who costs 90k. Exactly. Um, exactly. He made, so he made his two halftime substitutions in this game. He made two against Braga when they were losing. He made three against Boa Vista at halftime when they were losing. He made three substitutions against Friends when they were equalised in the 55th minute. We've been having this debate in the Premier League recently about five subs or three and whether it benefits the big teams. And I think Benfica just proved the point that it does. I mean, I've, I just feel like this is masking over the fact that Jorge Jesus has not got his tactics right in several games. Uh, he has a go at Lito Vidigal for being anti-football, but I don't understand what a manager's supposed to do when you're coming about up against like, arguably the best squad in the league. And then suddenly at halftime, you're basically playing a different team, a different style, different tactics. It just doesn't seem fair. We haven't really had this debate on this podcast yet so far, but I think this game just really like crystallized it for me that I just he makes so many substitutions and quite often at half time. And when you compare the benches, it's just it's not fair. I, like I said, I just feel it's masking over the fact that he's made some poor tactics, tactical decisions. If we didn't have these five subs rule, they could be in a completely different situation. I think you're absolutely spot on there, Barney. I totally agree with that. And it makes me think of two points. The first being that by being able to make two substitutes at half time, it denies the players playing, even if they're not having a great game, to grow into the game. And I would point to someone like Julian Weigel as evidence of that. I think he would have benefited from playing 70, 80, 90 minutes in that game, just to get a bit feel of the game, especially if he's not got many minutes under his belt. And also, Barney, it's funny because it reminds me of a time when I was at a Leighton Orient season ticket holders meeting. Uh, with the owners of the club and the director of football and they were discussing uh, picking a new manager. Leighton Orient had recently sacked a manager after six games in charge and they said then if you sack a manager after six years that's the manager's fault. If you sack a manager after six games that's your own fault and I think that same thing applies here. If a player doesn't perform well after you're giving him 90 minutes that's the player's fault. If you're taking off a player at half-time I think you can only blame yourself for picking the wrong player in the first place. Well, the last game we're going to chat about in this section is Braga versus Belenenge SAD. Uh, and it was a rare slip-up for Braga, a team who we've been full of praise uh, recently. They lost 2-1 to Belenenge's SAD away from home. And yeah, as I said, we're not used to seeing Braga losing to the more mid-table teams this season, buddy. I know, a real shock uh, result in this. I think we need to remember of Braga because... They're in the same boat as Benfica in terms of having this Thursday game. Thursday game, then playing on Sunday. A packed schedule, to be fair. And, you know, there's a lot of travelling in the Europa League as well. You've got to go quite far sometimes. I think there's a little bit of tiredness in this game for them. He fielded a strong 11 again. Um, you know, not many changes, not much rotation. But to be fair to Belenens, they look great as well. Um, they were the majority of the chance in the first half. Um, Cardozo um, looked fantastic. He got the first goal. 
And then the uh, Belenenses' second goal, uh, did you see it out at Souza? He does so much work. He gets it like mm. he's trying to get past Bruno Viana, tries to get a shot off, it gets blocked. And then he just does the same thing again. But this time it goes <laughs> beautifully into the top corner. And like, ah, oh, it's really good. Uh, second half, uh, Bruggle at Bear. But um, then David Carmo got sent off a stupid challenge, man. Yeah. Was, I, no need for it. He was so far at the pitch. I mean, we've talked about him before, Barley, because he's been linked with some big clubs, but I don't think either of us are yet to see what all the hype is about when it comes to David Carlo. Second time he's been sent off in the league already. Pretty similar challenge in this one to the one he did on Marcus Edwards. Mm. Um, just no need for it, like really rash. And then that just did him no favours. Uh, got a penalty and Paulinho slotted it home doing the Bruno Fernandes uh, jump just <laughs> before the pen. The red card obviously just didn't help them. They, they were almost getting back into the game and then it just had to completely change tactics. Um, they were the better team in the second half. They just couldn't get the goals. Like you said at the beginning, they've had a great run um, and it was just bound to come to an end at some point. Just to speak about Belenenj SAD for a second. The first thing I want to mention actually is how we refer to Belenenj SAD on this podcast. Obviously, there's some confusion at this point about how to refer to them as a team. Obviously, they are a separate team from Belenenjes who play uh, in the Lisbon regional divisions at the moment. We dedicated a whole podcast to that story uh, and the difficulties that led to that split. If you want to go back to listen to episode 10 of our podcast uh, featuring Jamie Farr, we explain that whole situation as best we can. As far as I'm aware, there's some discussion happening about whether or not they should even have the word Belenenjes in their name for us, just because the league currently refer to them as Belenenjes SAD. I think that's what we'll go with. You got caught out on Twitter, didn't you, Albert, this uh, the other day? I did. I got uh, I got added by the Belém firm. I think it's going to be a little while before I can show my face for a pastation for name anytime soon. I'm glad you made that mistake and not me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to happen sooner or later. Took one for the team there. But I do want to talk about Belenens SAD uh, and their performance because we haven't really mentioned them at all. Uh, and I saw an incredible statistic this season, Barney, from... Uh, another podcast called The Other Bundesliga Podcast, which talks about uh, the Austrian Bundesliga. But they put out a tweet talking about the, the 10 best teams in terms of defensive record in the top 10 leagues this season. And Belenenz SAD place in sixth out of all the teams in the top 10 leagues this season. They have the sixth best defensive record, conceding just 0.66 goals a game. And of course, therefore, the best defensive record in the Premier League. They've gone really under the radar, but... You cannot you cannot argue argue with those statistics. Like you said, they have gone completely under the radar. They've just been ticking over, rolling the points. And if you've got that defensive record, it's it's going to do you well. They could even look in for top half, um, possibly higher. And this is the first game that I've sort of taken a keen interest in them. And yeah, it's 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 really good. I'm excited to see more of them. I, I thought the attacking players are actually the more the more exciting ones in this game. But to have that defensive record is is fantastic. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to have a quick look at the table. Um, so despite drawing uh, the weekend, Sporting remained top on 23 points. And then Fika behind them on 21, uh, Porto on 19 and Braga on 18, though they could have been in second if they'd beaten Benelens. Behind them, though, we've got Vittorio Grimes there in fifth on 16 points. With an OK win over Porto Menendez on Saturday. Um, they're still not scoring 
that many goals out. But this season they've got seven goals and nine, and apparently that's last season eighteen and nine. Um, there's quite a drop off. That's what surprised me about their performance as well, Barney, because you thought Marcus Edwards was built on his great season last year. You would have thought the signing of Ricardo Quaresma could have only have bought more opportunities. But as well, as as much as they've been churning out solid results here and there, they really haven't been setting the world alight with their performances. No, not at all. Behind them, though, you've got Pashos Ferreira. Uh, they stay put in sixth after losing to Benfica. Um, then Santa Clara just one point behind them on 14 after beating uh, National 3-1. Uh, Santa Clara needed that result. Um, Carlos Jr., I picked out in the highlights of that game. He, he got a goal and won two pens. He looked really good. But <laughs> I wanted to talk about that game. I was... Uh, We've talked about him a couple of times. Demogorish, the CD National goalkeeper. Some unreal saves again. I mean, he's really getting a name for himself for these spectacular saves. And he has a lot to the work to do in that CD National team as well. Has he been around for a long time, buddy? Well, this is it. He's got such a good backstory. He's 33 years old. So I, was, I wanted to know his age in case he could be uh, vying for a move to a big club. But I, I think he <laughs> might be past it. Um, but the highest level he played at before moving to National was the second tier in Brazil and he was with the team in the regional leagues in Brazil before he moved to National like completely out of nowhere but oh, he's made some great saves I mean they usually in the VS Sport um, saves of the week video that they put out on Twitter so I'm sure we'll catch some of those saves then Bellin Engine now 8th though we've just mentioned them thanks to that one over Braga we've just talked about and then Rio Ave ninth after drawing with Bovista on Sunday you caught a bit of this game didn't you Albert? I did and it was nil-nil, but it was quite an exciting uh, end-to-end game. Rio Ave, I was saying to you, Barley, a team that when we first started doing this podcast in the first three episodes, we were talking about them every week with their Europa League uh, exploits. But their performances really haven't been much to shout about recently. Um, I thought, on balance, Boa Vista were probably the better team, although they did struggle to create anything. Angel Gomez was subbed off for about 70 minutes and he looked devastated, really. I guess he was just disappointed he couldn't have more of an impact on on the game but yeah a good game two evenly matched teams um it'll be interesting to see which team has the better performances going into the second half of the season and i agree with you i think we have have really disappointed me this season i think their squad was good enough for the europa league i feel they they made some good signings to two from sporting dallo and Gerards, and yeah just something's not clicking there at the moment the bottom half of the table uh none of the teams won at the weekend uh, there was a few draws so not much changing down there but it's the big game tonight as um, Ferenc Maritime. Um, they're in the bottom two at the moment. A win for Ferenc will take them to eight points and push Portimans down into the relegation zone. Um, but a huge game, particularly with uh, Lisa Vidigal leaving Maritimo. I know we're supposed to be uh, impartial on this podcast, Barney, but I think we're both team Ryan Gould in this one, aren't we? I, I'd love Ferenc to get three boys. It just made that bottom half even more interesting. Right, well, it's time to discuss our team in focus. Every week on this podcast, me and Barney do some research about one of the lesser-known teams in the Primera Liga and share our findings with you guys uh, as we try and learn as much as we can about this league. Uh, and our team in focus this week is CD Tondela from the Vizel region of central Portugal. Uh, interesting fact for you here, Barney, the only region in Portugal that doesn't either border Spain or the sea. Uh, they were founded in 1933. So one of the newer teams in the country uh, when two clubs from Tondela, Tondela Football Club and Operario Atletico Club, 
join forces to create the CD Tondetta that we know today. Now, this is a team that has spent the vast majority of its existence in the lower tiers of Portuguese football. They only qualified for the second division for the first time in 2009. So that really shows the level that this team was operating at for the majority of their existence, mostly playing in the third tier and even in the regional leagues before that. But obviously we find them in the top tier today. Uh, and that was after what must have been a truly historic promotion given the size of the club in 2015 when they won the second division title on the final day of the season. I'm just really trying, Bayern, to give an impression of just how much of an underdog this team is. I was trying to think of an English team that we could liken them to. Uh, maybe somebody like Bournemouth, but without the huge cash injection that Bournemouth had. And for the last three seasons, they've managed to stick to a mid to lower table position in the top flight. They've never competed in Europe and their only major honours were that second division title in 2015 and the third division to Sarah Divisional title in 2009. I mean, when you look at where they've performed in the top league since they've got there, so you got there 2015, they stayed up like last day of the season and that's that one. Next season, same story, relegation zone most of the, most of the season and staying up last day of the season. Um, they had a decent season in 2017, like sticking around the mid-table, finishing 11th there. And then um, season after that, back down into relegation, so <laughs> just managing to survive. Their favourites to go down this season as well, but um, they're, they're in and around that area at the moment. But yeah, the manager, um, Paco Esteran, apart from Lito Villiga, who's just quit, uh, left Maritio, the only non-Portuguese manager in the league. Uh, he's Spanish. And I recognise his name as well, Barney. Did he used to manage Valencia or Villarreal or a team like that? Yeah, great history to his manager. Great. Uh, started off as Rafa Benitez as assistant at Valencia in Liverpool. Also, uh, probably the bigger job for him was being Gary Neville's assistant manager uh, at <laughs> Valencia think, as well. I think that's where I remember him from, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he got he got 12 games as Valencia's uh, main manager. So he's never been at a like, big, big club. But I mean, fantastic experience to work with Rafa Benitez. He seems to play like a five at the back, going backs more often than not. I thought his tactics were spot on in, in this Porto game we just saw at uh, the weekend. Um, there's been any players that have caught your eye out, but well, not too many to be honest, because I haven't watched them super closely. The one player that stood out for me was the Portuguese Salvador Agra, uh, quite a creative player. I think he's a relatively new signing. I like players who play with positivity and try and create something. So he's someone who stood out for me. But what about yourself, um, Rafael Barbosa, number seventy? I thought he was great against. Porto. He's from the Sporting's Academy, left the under 23 he's got to come to Tondea. Um, but a great old player, very skillful. Jean Murillo as well, their number 10. He's second time at Tondea now. He was on loan from Benfica a few seasons ago. He's been played as a right wing back this season. I think he's more of a right winger. Um, so he's, he's got that attacking side to his game. And I think he's a, he's a regular international for Venezuela as well. And then, yeah, the guy I mentioned, um, the young uh, Thiago Almeida, who I mentioned in the Porto game. I'm excited to see more of as well. What have you made of their performances this season, Barney? Because personally, I think they've done a decent job of beating some of the teams in and around where they're going to be. Uh, I believe they beat Porto Menendez a few weeks back. Uh, and I know they beat Santa Clara a couple of weeks ago. So those are some good results. But apart from a quite positive performance against Porto, they've been pretty uh, useless against some of the bigger teams. Yeah, there's some, there's some big losses in there, isn't there? They've, they've shipped a few goals. They are probably one of the smallest teams in this league, you know. Oh, definitely. Definitely for their history. 
um, probably their resources as well. They've done incredibly well to stay in Liga Nos. The Porto's performance is just completely out of the blue, isn't it? Fantastic. Tactics were spot on. Players were really up for it. They just need to be able to do the same with the lesser teams. But I tell you what, I would, I would bet on them to stay up. They might do like a last thing, like they seem to <laughs> usually do. Last few games of the season, pull out a few results and keep themselves off in it. But yeah, I, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch, particularly at the, the, the latter end of the season. Well, I'll tell you what, if you enjoyed Tondela's performance against Porto this weekend, you're in for an absolute treat next weekend when they play Porto again in the Tassel of Portugal. <laughs> They're obviously hoping to build on that great performance, Barney. Uh, maybe the pressure of a knockout game might give them that extra spurt of energy. Uh, we'll have to see. Right, well, just before we wrap up this podcast for this week, it's time to check in on me and Barney's fantasy football. And there's a big game coming up tonight, Barney, because I've got Ryan Gordon as my captain. They're playing later. And so far, I'm only on 30 points. So I'm in need of a pretty big points injection. How did you get on? <laughs> I've got 27 and um, no one's playing tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my lot. <laughs> Blimey, oh, I thought, man. I, I thought my week was bad. At least I've got Rodrigo Pino to play. Uh, and I'm kicking myself because I've got Thiago Sanzano on the bench. It got me seven points. So I could have could have had the points from that, but yeah, very low scoring week this week for me, buddy. I mean, I got I went big on Braga players. I was feeling I was really feeling them. Um, Paulie only got me six points for his goal, but that's about it. Kept Nuno Mendes in my team, and Quartes only obviously got the one point. Um, oh man, it's just just dire as per. If anybody listen, has been listening to our podcast for the last few weeks thinking these guys are absolutely shocking at Portuguese fantasy football, one, you're absolutely spot on. And two, if you think you could do better than us, get in contact because we're thinking about starting a long ball football, fantasy football league. If you don't play the Portuguese fantasy football, you do it through an app called Real Fever. Uh, maybe we'll tweet this out or something. But if you think you can give us a run for our money, go for it. Get in contact and we'll think about starting a league. But that just leaves us to recommend you a game to watch at the weekend. And there's no Premier League action coming up, but the Tassa de Portugal will be returning at, this week, at the weekend. So what would you go for, Barney, for your game recommendation? Well, there's still a few draws to be decided. Um, I think they need to decide who uh, Benfica are going to play. Braga have got uh, a team I've never heard of. That could be a, a good one to watch as well. What about you? Are you looking at any? Well, the game that stands out for me is, as much as I like to recommend watching some of the lower league teams, I think Friday night, 9 15 uh, sporting are playing Passos de Ferreira. I think that'd be a nice game. It'll be good to see how Passos uh, fare against Sporting. Obviously, there might be some rotation. If you're looking for a game with to catch one of the lower league teams, Boa Vista will be playing one of either Estoril Praia or Lusitano Gimnasio Club, and that's on Sunday at 3 p.m. Unfortunately, uh, none of these games will be on Free Sports or the Live Score app. We will do our best to look into how you can watch these games uh, and share them out on our Twitter if we can. But for now. We'd just like to say thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, once again, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at longballfootball on Twitter or you can email longballfootball at gmail.com. If you're listening on iTunes, you can leave us a review and a comment. As Barney said, if you've got any suggestions for any awful Portuguese football puns that we can use as podcast titles, feel free to leave one of those in the comments. 
Uh, but until next time, we'll say thanks for listening and see you later. Yeah, see you later.